Hello, everyone out there in podcast world. Hope you're having a great day. You're listening to the Service Business Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Tersh Blissett. This season is a little bit different than normal. Uh, you may recognize that it's not my voice that you'll be hearing later in this episode, but you may recognize the voice because he's been a guest on this podcast before. Uh, it's Nate Adams. And this season is actually Nate reading the first part of his book, the Home Comfort Book. Uh, we thought it'd be an awesome idea if we were able to share this to the masses. And so uh, Nate took a few moments and is reading his book and we're sharing it on this podcast. This entire season, season three of this podcast will be Nate reading and answering questions. If he has any questions, anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to Nate or myself and I'll get you connected with Nate. With that being said, let's get started with this episode. Home Comfort 101, a complimentary chapter of the Home Comfort Book. Buy the book at natethehousewhisperer.com. Are there things about your home that drive you crazy? If you're reading this, that answer is probably yes, and you are serious about solving a problem that's been bugging you. Here are some typical problems people want help with. Health. I suspect my house is making me or my family sick with asthma, allergies, cold, or flu. Hot upstairs. Second floor is 5 to 15 degrees warmer than downstairs in the summer. Poor sleep. Bedrooms are too hot or too cold. We have allergic reactions in them or they feel stuffy. Icicles. I worry about water coming into the house. Damp basement. My basement smells musty and dank. Mold. There is questionable stuff growing in a few places. I may be allergic. Stinky. No matter how much I clean, the house sometimes stinks. I buy air fresheners or burn candles to cover nasty smells. I worry they're unhealthy, though. Sticky. Even with the air conditioner on, floors, walls, and my skin feel sticky and clammy. The goals of this chapter are to help you understand the building science behind these problems and to build a list of problems you would like to solve. Let's get the hard stuff out of the way now. If you're expecting a silver bullet that solves all your woes, look elsewhere. We are in the business of complex but correct. This book is written to break the complex down into digestible and actionable chunks. There's a cartoon on this page with a big signpost that says solutions. One way it says simple but wrong and there's a bunch of people standing around a fire burning time and money. And the other way is complex but correct. There's a bookshelf there and there's a fellow walking up a narrow path to get to the top of the mountain and the solution. Avoid wasting time and money. A home is a complicated system of systems. Heating, cooling, plumbing, electrical, roofing, siding, insulation, and many more. If you want to solve a problem, you often have to adjust several systems at the same time or bad things happen. Pests come, mold forms, roofs leak, houses stay uncomfortable. Bad results happen despite many thousands being spent to, in quotes, solve problems. The original work often has to be undone, repaired, and fixed correctly. It's frustrating. Neither doing nor redoing the work is cheap. We want to help you solve problems while avoiding that frustration and wasted money. The complex but correct path is heavy upfront on education. Then it requires careful planning. This book will help with both, and this chapter is the beginning. Some people have been told the right thing to do and heard so many conflicting opinions that they rightfully want to know not just what to do, but why. This book contradicts a lot of the common myths perpetuated by people who don't understand how the systems in your home are interconnected. 
and then explains why things need to be done. Much of it will be done with data and science. All of it will be done with a sense of humor. This rather dry subject doesn't need to be dry to read. Inset. Definitions. Terms in my world tend to get mixed up, so here are the definitions I am using. Home performance. The art and science of making your home more comfortable, healthier, longer lasting, and more efficient. 99% of the time, it is multidisciplinary. Multiple contractors are required. It is focused on solving homeowner problems within their budget. It requires measuring multiple characteristics to diagnose a problem, then planning to figure out how to solve root causes. Building science, the physics of how your home works. Most importantly, it deals with the flows of heat, air, and moisture. Home performance is built on a foundation of building science. Building scientist, one who uses building science to solve problems in a building. There is not a certification program for it, so anyone can call themselves one. Multiple trades may use this term, particularly energy auditors, architects, insulation contractors, and various consultants. Energy auditor, one who tests and inspects a home to find root causes to client problems in their homes. They almost always do a test in on a project and sometimes do a test out. Often they are not heavily involved during a project, which is where mistakes can best be caught. Home performance specialist. An individual or company that guides your project from start to finish. They use multiple measurements to help you not only diagnose a problem and figure out what to do, but also help you develop a budget, find contractors, get bids, and get the work done. Most importantly, they follow up to see if it worked and why or why not. A home performance specialist is to your home like a doctor is to your body. They often tend to be generalists like a family doctor. Some will have different specialties such as solving mold problems, indoor air quality problems, icicle problems, etc. Nothing is certain. Have you ever heard a doctor saying this is 100% guaranteed to work? Of course not. Bodies are very complex, and we all treat them differently. Instead, doctors tend to think in odds. 50% odds of success isn't great. 80% is good. 90% plus is as good as you can expect. Home performance works the same way. Ends definition inset. Separating energy auditors from building scientists from home performance specialists. While home performance specialists are often energy auditors, their work is far more than an energy audit. An energy audit is like an MRI test. It gives valuable information for the diagnosis, but it does not tell exactly what to do in order to solve the problem, nor does it actually solve the problem. Either one may also call themselves a building scientist. I do. That simply means their work is based on building science. A home performance specialist is much more than an energy auditor. Here are some key differences. First, they are involved from start to finish with a home performance project. Second, they make predictions. They predict budget, air leakage at completion, and energy usage one year post project. Then they track to see how close they came. Third, they are accountable for results. While accountability is shared with homeowners because decisions are made jointly, their reputation is built on delivering results for clients. Fourth, they rabidly look for feedback. We only know if something worked or didn't work from what the clients tell us. While objective measurements give us a good idea if something worked, your subjective feedback is what we need to know. Fifth, very strong reviews. Average reviews should be at least four and a half out of five stars with detailed feedback about the success of the projects, not just that they were nice and cleaned up after themselves. And lastly, they are more likely to be individuals for now. Getting good results is hard. It takes intrinsic drive. 
until their performance can be compared to others with a tool like a JD Power Survey, which gives an extrinsic reward for excellence, individuals are likely to outperform larger companies. Home performance specialists are pretty rare. It takes a rare mix of core competencies. One of the aims of this book is to educate consumers like you on what it takes to truly solve problems, thereby creating more demand for them. Promises, promises. I promise to do my best to teach you how your house really works and how to solve problems in it. Before you continue, I need you to make a few promises to me too. First, promise to be open-minded and thoughtful. Second, promise to be open to challenging long-held beliefs. Third, and most importantly, promise not to take shortcuts. Half measures lead to quarter results or worse. If you don't keep those promises, the responsibility for results, good or bad, rests in, on your shoulders. Is that fair? Promise? Great, let's go. How to solve complex problems. Solving complex problems takes a different thought process than buying a product like a TV or a light bulb. A slower, more thoughtful path is the best way to a solution that works the first time. Think of it like being a doctor. Does a doctor throw a bottle of pills at you as you walk through the door? Of course not. They ask questions to find out what ails you. They take your height, weight, and blood pressure. They may run more tests. They diagnose first. There's a saying in medicine, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Practicing home performance is similar to practicing medicine on your home. Home performance is based on building science, which is the physics of how your home works. A high-performance home is like a healthy body. We home performance specialists need to diagnose before we can prescribe, or we are doing you harm. Please don't ask us to skip steps. After diagnosis, a doctor will discuss the treatment plan with you. Together, you finalize the treatment plan, and she will help you execute it, following up to see if it worked. Again, the same process is needed to solve complex problems in your home. Break this process, and you're likely to get the equivalent of fen-fen pills causing heart attacks. A single pill can't make you lose weight. No single product can solve a complex problem. My industry has tried a lot of shortcuts, as have I. Shortcuts fail. This is the complex but correct path. Diagnose, prescribe, treat, follow up. Home performance work gets the systems of your home back into balance, just as a good doctor does the same for your body's systems. Design for people, good buildings will follow. That's the mantra of Robert Bean from HealthyHeating.com. We fully agree. In fact, the next chapter, Home Comfort 102, once it's complete, is based on his work. All of the problems listed at the beginning are about comfort. Even worrying about mold or ice dams is a comfort issue. It causes stress. Our homes should be our refuge. They should be comfortable, safe, and healthy. If a house is a comfortable refuge, typically most other problems were already solved and the home is naturally efficient. It's a good building. Consequently, we focus heavily on comfort. Good comfort requires good balance of the many systems in your home. The five priorities for creating comfortable, efficient homes. Making your home a refuge has a similar path for all homes. This assumes that your home is watertight and doesn't have any roof, plumbing, or basement leaks. If you don't keep water out, you don't really have a building. After any water leaks are dealt with, the path will almost always follow the five priorities. Number one, air seal the house to reduce air leakage. Number two, air seal the house more to reduce air leakage. Number three, keep air sealing the house to reduce air leakage. Number four, insulate better. And number five, install the right HVAC system, heating, ventilation, and cooling.
This system will be properly sized, specified, installed, and optimized with sealed and right-sized ductwork. This will allow you to really take control of your tighter and better insulated home. Do you get the idea that air sealing is very, very important? It's critical. Now, the mainstream still does not make a big deal about it, though things are changing. After water tightness, no other factor comes close to air sealing in importance for human comfort. Inset. Will I save millions of dollars? No. I need to burst your bubble here. Typical savings are usually in the $200 to $700 a year range, even for advanced projects. The math is simple. U.S. homes use about $2,000 a year in utilities. Typically, about half of that is for heating and cooling. That means we only have $1,000 a year we can affect, give or take. Typical energy savings from these projects are in the 20 to 70% range. So $200 to $700 a year at best. Can it be more? Yep, but it's more likely to be less unless you do a substantial project. Sadly, my industry has focused on savings so much that consumers have come to expect the sales pitch. It's bunk. You are not sending your kids to college with energy savings. The math for the 10% or so of U.S. homes heating with fuel oil or propane may look better. Most homes heating with natural gas will see modest savings. If you only want to save money, don't embark on this process. It's a waste of time and money. Only read this if you want to turn your home into a refuge and solve problems like uncomfortable rooms, mold, icicles, indoor air quality, and so forth. Blunt enough for you? And inset. The pier analogy. Here's one way to picture air sealing. Imagine you're standing on a pier in the middle of winter with a 30 mile per hour wind blowing. You're only wearing a t-shirt and jeans, so the wind cuts right through you. Waves are crashing into the pier pilings and nearby rocks. The spray is hitting you. As you feel the wind blowing icily through your paper-thin shirt, you're quickly frozen to the core. Now imagine that I cruelly give you the choice between a windbreaker and a very loose-knit sweater, the type with big gaps in the weaving of it. These two coverings are your only choices to wear out on that pier with a wind gusting and waves crashing. Which would you choose? Of course you take the windbreaker, since the wind and water will blow right through the sweater, you might as well have nothing on. Air sealing is the windbreaker, while most insulation is the loose-knit sweater. Without air sealing, the insulation is almost useless. This is how your house works too. Air leaking through insulation makes the insulation almost useless. I'm called to many older homes that have recently been, in quotes, insulated, but because they're still very leaky, they remain drafty and cold. Even when the wind is not blowing, those houses experience airflow due to the house acting like a smokestack. More on that later. These homes are like wearing a sweater on a cold pier. Combine the windbreaker and the sweater and the pairing is almost magical. They are Batman and Robin. The insulation is the sidekick though. Air sealing does most of the butt kicking and gets to wear the cool suit. I almost can't overemphasize the importance of reducing air leakage. There are so many comfort and moisture problems in a house that can be traced back to air leakage. Much of the rest of this chapter and book will be about air leakage. Do you know your blower door number. There's a picture here of me in a pink bunny suit with my blower door. I lost a bet. I've already stressed how home performance revolves around comfort and that air sealing is the most important factor in delivering it. That means we need to measure leakage since what gets measured gets managed. If you don't measure air leakage, how can you have any idea whether or not an upgrade worked or is likely to work. 
The answer is you can't. Comfort and balance are likely to elude you. A blower door is a tool home performance specialists use to measure air leakage. The blower door number is by far the most important number I want to know about a house. Given the choice between square footage, year built, energy use, number of occupants, or blower door number, I want to know the blower door number every single time. That means it's an awfully good number for you to know too. Think of it like the blood pressure reading for your home. Every time you go to the doctor, they take your blood pressure. It helps give them a basic understanding of your health. For a better understanding, they need to ask questions and do more tests. The same thing goes for home performance projects and blower door readings. A blower door is a big fan that goes in the front door of your house. It can quite accurately measure how much air your home leaks. That number can be easily converted to the size of a hole that is always open in your home, typically somewhere between a basketball-sized hole and a window. Just divide your blower number by 10, and that's approximately how many square inches it is. Every 1,500 points on the blower door is about a square foot. It would be extremely difficult to do my job well without one. Imagine measuring blood pressure without a cuff. You can guess, but sooner or later those guesses are going to be wrong and hurt someone. Any competent home performance specialist will test before, during, and after your project to gauge results and likelihood of success. There's a photo of a blower door in a front door here. A red shroud replaces your door temporarily while the large fan in the bottom blows air in or out of your home to measure leakage. The rectangular gauge hangs above the fan to one side. There's now a picture of a reading of the blower door gauge that I use. It's a, a DG700. So the number on the left, which is 50.0, is a pressure reading, which is measuring the difference between the pressure inside the house and the pressure outside the house. The industry standard test pressure is 50 pascals, which is the equivalent of a 15 to 20 mile per hour wind against all sides of your house at the same time. With something like that going on, you can find a lot of leaks in a house in a short amount of time. The number on the right, 2257, is the leakage reading, or what I call the blower door number. It's measured in CFM 50, or cubic feet per minute, at 50 pascals. The unit doesn't matter that much as long as you always compare the raw blower door reading in CFM 50, which is our practice. Every 10 points is roughly equal to a square inch hole. There are 144 square inches in a square foot, so every 1400 to 1500 on the blower door is equal to a square foot hole in your house that's open 24-7, 365. A basketball-sized hole is about 0.5 square feet, for reference. The home from this reading is about 1,700 square feet. It's the 1915 case study on energysmartohio.com. Before any work was done, the blower door number started out at almost 8,000 on this home. That's over 5 square feet of leakage, 10 basketball-sized holes, or one window being open all year. After air sealing work, it was down to 2257. We eventually got it under 1900. That's a little over one square foot hole or two basketball sized holes. What does a blower door reading mean? I like to think in spectrums. And for this, I think of leakage to square footage ratio. So at zero to one, which is not truly achievable, uh, that is an A plus. Down on this end of the spectrum is passive house, which is one of the toughest standards in the world for airtightness. We do find that conscientious builders can get new homes to the 0.25 or 0.5 to one range. So if you had a 2000 square foot house, that would be a 500 to 1000 blower door number. At one-to-one, -one, which would be a 2,000 blower door number to a 2,000 square foot house, that is a B or a B minus, maybe a C plus. 
This is 1990 homes and newer pretty often, and this is often good enough to work with to make your house comfortable. At two to one, which would be a 4,000 blower door number to a 2,000 square foot house, that's a D grade. That is typical of 1950 to 1970 homes. That's mediocre. At three to one, this is an F. So you are not gonna pass that grade. Uh, this is typical in pre-1950 houses, and it's terrible. At four to one, which we don't see very often, so that would be an 8,000 blower door and a 2,000 square foot house, which is what this particular house was, that's like an antique log cabin on the prairie. And it's an F minus minus. Not only did you get held back, you got held back twice. So that's a terrible, terrible number. Real world example. Here's the house from the blower door reading and the spray foamed attic that was a big part of the 6,000 point leakage reduction. We installed three and a half inches of closed cell spray foam on the roof deck, two inches on the walls. There's much more of this in the insulation types chapter. And there's two photos here, one of the house and one of inside the attic where the roof deck was foamed. Note the line of foam just to the right of the floorboards and the chimney. It's air sealing the tops of interior walls. That is a really important opportunity to tackle during these projects. Let's think of a 2,000 square foot home to make the math simple. If that house had a one-to-one -one leakage to square footage ratio, it would have a 2,000 blower door number. That's decent, a B or a B minus grade. Often, a one-to-one -one ratio like this is good enough to gain adequate control of the air, heat, and moisture going into and out of the home. For a one-to-one -one home to work well, however, the top and the bottom of those houses needs to be well air sealed. Homes built in the last 20 to 30 years are usually in this one-to-one -one range, but often have to get tighter still because the tops and bottoms are still leaky. While the leaks aren't huge, they are still big enough to cause comfort problems. See the 1970s two-story colonial or 1996 Center Hall Colonial case studies at energysmartohio.com. They were still out of balance at the beginning of the projects. I'll expound on this as the chapter goes on. If that same home was built between 1950 and 1970, it might be in the two to one range. So it would have a 4,000 blower door number to 2,000 square feet. Delivering comfort in a home this leaky is often attempted with oversized, brute-forced HVAC and possibly a zoning system. HVAC, again, stands for heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. Often the results of brute-force HVAC still include 5 to 10 degree temperature differences between different parts of the house. Most homeowners remain unsatisfied in spite of having Herculean HVAC systems on the job. Finesse is needed to get comfort, not raw power. See the HVAC 101 and HVAC 102 chapters for more on this. HVAC 101 is also a free chapter. If that 2,000 square foot house was built in 1910, it likely would be in the range of three to one or a 6,000 blower door number. These homes are drafty and typically very difficult to control. They often experience massive temperature swings where the basement may be 20 degrees different than the second or third floor. That was definitely the case in the 1915 case study home that we were just talking about. Once you know the blower door number, you can begin to make plans. What are the biggest problems to solve? What areas are most likely to affect those problems if they are air sealed? What can be sealed easily? What should be sealed but is more difficult? What is most likely to make the biggest difference to the blower door number? These are the sorts of questions that help you and your home performance specialist begin to design solutions that help address the problems you want to solve. Be sure to set realistic targets for reductions and communicate them to the crews you work with. Setting multiple targets depending on what upgrades are planned is also important. 
quick and dirty has weaknesses. Three caveats about the quick and dirty leakage ratio. First, bigger houses need a handicap. To hit a tipping point, a 5,000 square foot home may need to get to 0.7 to 1. That's around a 3,400 blower door number to get to where it can be controlled. Think about a small box that has nothing inside of it but air. It has a lot of wall area compared to how much air it holds. A big box has much less surface area compared to how much air it holds. Larger homes have more volume compared to their surface area, and air leakage happens where inside meets outside. Big houses should naturally leak less than smaller ones, and often need to see low leakage to square footage ratios to be controllable. Second, homes with knee wall attics often reach a tipping point above one-to-one. Cape Cods, bungalows, Victorians, and arts and crafts are examples of home styles that often have knee wall attics. If you have sloped ceilings on your top floor, you probably have knee wall attics. They are sometimes known as one and a half and two and a half story homes. These homes often have tipping points in the 1.3 to 1.5 to 1 range. Third, Homes that are built on a slab need to be handicapped like large homes. Wherever two pieces of wood or other building materials come together, you have a potential for leakage. Homes built on slabs are missing a major joint, the top of the basement wall. That spot is typically a major leakage point in homes with basements or crawl spaces. Therefore, homes built on slabs tend to be tighter. If you have a leaky slab home, say two to one, it's really leaky. You may also need to get to 0.7 to one before your home is controllable. So a 1,000 square foot ranch home on a slab would need to get to 700 points to have a good chance of solving comfort, mold, or other problems. The four tenets of home performance. Before digging deeper, Let's talk about the benefits of home performance and getting your home in balance. If you get your house sealed well, adequate insulation installed, and correctly install the right heating and cooling system, or HVAC, the benefits fall into four categories or tenets. Number one, comfort. Few of us have ever truly experienced living in a consistently pleasant, comfortable home, but it is possible. No room in your home should be more than two to three degrees different from another. It shouldn't have air that feels wet like a swamp or dry like a desert. The air shouldn't feel oppressive to your sinuses or give you headaches, nor should it smell. It should be the most comfortable house you've ever lived in. It should be so comfortable you never think about your comfort. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Number two, health and safety. It's a bit unsettling to hear, but studies and new measurement tools tell us our homes are often very unhealthy. High humidity levels can lead to dust mites and mold. Humidity also causes volatile organic compounds in furniture and cleaners to release faster, sometimes known as chemical pollutants. These can lead to respiratory illness, allergies, asthma, etc. Appliances like gas water heaters and gas stoves emit bad things like carbon monoxide, particulates, and nitrous oxides. The air leaking into the house likely crept in through nasty places like the attic, garage, basement, crawl space, or walls. In my work, I have found all of these spaces are usually full of animal excrements and or mold. Pretty gross. A high-performing home will also have a dry, clean, healthy, fresh air supply coming in from a known location. Third, durability. There are three major things that kill buildings. Water, water, and water. Liquid does the most damage, but water vapor is hard on things too. The more moisture problems a house has, the more likely you are to need expensive repairs. If you design moisture management into your home, 
it is likely to be a longer-lasting, healthier, more comfortable, and less expensive to operate or repair. Crawl spaces won't contribute to asthma issues. Termites won't have wet wood to burrow into. Mold likely won't develop or need to be treated. And the fourth and last tenet, efficiency. This is generally what clients think of first. Good news and bad news here. The bad news is that efficiency makes a lousy goal. We find that when we focus on it, the problems we are there to solve get forgotten and little is accomplished. The good news is that if you make a building really comfortable, healthy, and long-lasting, efficiency just follows. It's important to repeat Robert Bean's mantra here, designed for humans and good buildings will follow. Efficiency is part of a good building. Depending on your priorities and budget, you can achieve all four tenets simultaneously. Don't expect perfection unless you have a very high budget, though. Results arrive on a spectrum. On a scale of 1 to 10, outcomes for some problems may score a 6, others a 9. Budget and type of work you opt for determines which benefits are most likely to show up. And I have a spectrum here of results from 1 at misery to 10 at bliss. Budget determines what is possible. A qualified home performance specialist can help you prioritize your problems, develop an affordable budget, and design a solution package that balances achieving as many of your goals as possible while sticking to your budget. Getting control. It's time for some light physics. If you want comfort, health and safety, durability, and efficiency, they will show up once you gain adequate control. Control over heat, air, and moisture flows in and out of your home, as well as inside it. Control doesn't have to be perfect, but it does have to be adequate. What that means varies from home to home. If you adequately control the air, heat, and moisture flows, magic happens. Airflow is the most important one to control because heat and moisture often travel in air. If you stop the air, you stop much of the heat and most of the moisture as well. Heat moving on air is easy to understand as most of us have lived in or visited a drafty place where cold air blows through a crack of a door, window, or wall into the house. What you may not realize is that in and out are always balanced. That cold air leaking in is matched by warm air leaking out somewhere else in the house. Moisture is a touch trickier. Water vapor is often called humidity, and you've probably heard the phrase, it's not the heat, it's the humidity. Moisture in the air can carry a lot of energy. It's called latent heat. Latent heat is the energy it takes to make a material change phase. In the case of dehumidification, the phase change is from water vapor to liquid water. If you live in a humid climate, it's part of what your air conditioner or dehumidifier must work to remove from the air. It's a lot of work too. Did you know that it takes three times as much energy to turn water into water vapor as it does to take it from freezing to boiling temperature to freezing temperature? From 32 to 212 degrees. That's why controlling humidity is so important. It takes a ton of energy to deal with it. Use your bath fan to pull shower and bath steam out of the house. Use your range hood to pull cooking steam out. Air seal your house to let less humid air in. Simple in theory, trickier in execution. Latent heat, also known as humidity, makes us pretty uncomfortable because our bodies cool themselves by sweating. If there is a lot of moisture in the air, our sweat can't evaporate and we get uncomfortable. Air sealing to control air, heat, and moisture movement. Air sealing is also very important to make insulation work properly. Insulation controls heat moving in and out of the house. It works mostly by trapping air. If air blows through insulation, not much air gets trapped. 
This is particularly true for fiberglass and mineral wool insulation. See the insulation types chapter for more. You will need to purchase the book to read that one. In case you think your new home is safe from air leakage, about 20% of Energy Smart's work is done on homes built after 1990. In many parts of the country, builders seldom test leakage with blower doors. Without measuring leakage, you have no way of managing build quality around this critical metric. The importance of solving air leakage is often unrecognized or underemphasized. Understanding and solving air leakage is the most critical piece of home performance. Do I sound like a broken record yet? Control within your home. Once you get control of the air, heat, and moisture going in and out of your house with air sealing and insulation, then you want to control their levels inside the house. Each room needs the Goldilocks amount of heat or cool. Not too much, not too little. This is tricky because HVAC needs inside your home are constantly changing. Here's a number of the factors. First, the rooms. Every room needs a different amount of heating or cooling. Second, people. Every person has different comfort preferences. Third, the sun. Conditions change during the day as the sun shines on different parts of the house. Fourth, wind. Heating and cooling loads changes when it's windy. Fifth, temperature. Outdoor temperatures go up and down, which mean more or less heating or cooling is needed. Sixth, humidity. Humidity levels change, also affecting how much it takes to heat and cool your home. Seventh, weather. It could be sunny or rainy or snowy. That's often what spring is like in Cleveland, where I live. And lastly, fresh air. With new inexpensive monitoring tools, we are beginning to measure fresh air in a lot of homes. The results are a bit terrifying. Let's stop for a second for a real world example. Replacing new furnaces is expensive and painful. Air seal first. This 1989 home had substantial comfort issues and a very humid basement that were largely solved with air sealing and a smaller furnace. It was relatively tight, a 3300 blower door on a 3300 square foot home. It wasn't tight enough for comfort though. We brought it down to 2300. The dehumidifier in the basement ran much less because the air sealing reduced humid air leaking into the house in the summer. The project also required ripping out the three-year-old furnace pictured below. The new system is on the right. The old furnace on the left was an expensive, fairly high-end one. The new furnace is of similar quality, only smaller. It really was a waste of money and an avoidable one with a little planning. Ripping out nearly new furnaces and air conditioners is frustrating for homeowners and it's frustrating for me to break the bad news. Sadly, we do it a lot. It's inelegant and often futile to try to solve a leaking energy problem with brute force HVAC. Seal the house up first, insulate, then put in the smallest furnace and or heat pump you can. There's a reason the five priorities are in the order that they are. Once you air seal and insulate, suddenly, that new HVAC system you are looking at is very likely to be too large. If you want comfort and control, it will need to be replaced. The replacement for the furnace above made the second floor of that home heat well, a $5,000 lesson that I hope to help you avoid. More about this in the HVAC 101 and HVAC 102 chapters. Alright, back to it. So. How do you get control of air, heat, and moisture inside your home? Tighten it. Once the home is as tight as possible, the outdoors has less influence on the indoors. Then install the right HVAC system. HVAC has to be carefully designed so it can control all of these factors. It must be sized aggressively small, meaning very close to the actual amount needed to heat and cool the house on cold nights or hot days. Yes, smaller is much better than bigger. 
Sorry, Texas. The system should have multiple speeds, so it's not just on and off. Good filtration, dehumidification, and humidification capabilities are often needed. Then it needs to be installed carefully so all the systems actually work. The heat pump, humidifier, dehumidifier, filter, and fresh air system, and so forth. Often, they don't play well together because they were never optimized together. Once installed, it may need some optimization to make it operate in balance with the ductwork and the home. Sometimes, optimizing an existing system can fix a lot of problems, but don't pin your hopes on it, uh, working in most cases. Most home HVAC systems are woefully inadequate for this Herculean task. They're usually single speed, which means they're either on or off. They're also typically far too large, which creates a whole slew of other comfort and control problems. This is discussed in depth in the HVAC 101 and HVAC 102 chapters. Find help. I do. You might have noticed by now that home performance can be pretty complicated. It's not something to do alone. I don't. My business partner and I work through every project together, often three to five hours per home between the two of us, just on discussion. Sometimes our disagreements are very pointed, and we almost always catch things the other one missed. Collaboration is critical to good outcomes. Our clients almost always make suggestions during the process where we say, why didn't we think of that? And we adjust course. The same goes for contractors we work with. No one can think of everything. No one is perfect. In a game of inches, collaboration increases your chances of success. To repeat, I highly recommend you consider working with a home performance specialist to help you with the diagnostics, planning, and execution processes. You'll hear this refrain throughout the book. An entire section is dedicated to helping you find good people to work with and how to execute projects well. It's how you avoid snake oil and get real results. Don't get too bewildered, though, as it almost always comes down to air sealing, insulation, and the right HVAC. Those three things help us balance your home and use physics to our advantage. Why aren't more HVAC systems sized right? You may be wondering why good HVAC systems are the exception, not the rule. It's actually pretty simple. Market forces. As a society, we have gotten used to free quotes, except they're not free. We pay for them with lower quality. Think about it. If you had to give three to six bids to get a job, would you put hours of unpaid work into each bid? Not if you intended to stay in business. They could charge more for design services, but since most consumers don't see the value in the extra time to design an HVAC solution and size the equipment properly, that contractor will lose even more bids and also go out of business. It's a catch-22, a race to the bottom in price and quality. If you really want a comfortable home, it's likely to take a combination of a bit more work and a bit more money on your part. It also requires team players who understand the home performance principles discussed in this book. Once your home is balanced and optimized, it doesn't take much to keep it in control. Once your home is in control, comfort is usually a matter of a few tweaks. Avoid the free quote trap. Pay a home performance specialist to make you a plan. They'll run a blower door test at a minimum, tell you what size and type of equipment to buy, review bids, verify it was installed correctly, and help you make those final tweaks. There are no shortcuts, except to disappointment. The project management section of this book will help you find a good home performance specialist to help you solve problems, not create more. In time, I hope to see the market demands more transparency about results. Currently, if a contractor doesn't get a callback, they assume it was a job well done. They miss out on a lot of feedback to improve, and the way we've always done things continues. Energy Smart does warts and all case studies to help jumpstart this practice in the market. We learn a lot from feedback on our projects.
If contractors' results were published publicly and transparently, they would become much more focused on delivering results. We are already publishing our results as case studies at energysmartohio.com. The Rules, Part 1. Heat and Moisture Transfer. It's time to put on my Bill Nye the Science Guy hat. Most of the physics behind how your home works are really quite simple. Hot goes to cold. Heat wants to go any place cooler until it equalizes. Like your coffee cup releasing heat into the air and surfaces around it until the coffee is cold. It's a more powerful force than warm air rising. Wet goes to dry. Moisture wants to equalize, like a damp towel drying into drier air. Air and moisture go from a higher pressure to a lower pressure via the easiest path. They are lazy. They look for the biggest and easiest poles or paths. Gravity acts down. And then there's one weird one. Wet goes to cold. The first four are pretty obvious. The last one needs a little explanation. Wet goes to cold. In general, moisture in air is drawn to cold surfaces. If those surfaces are below dew point, moisture vapor will turn to liquid. Dew point sounds tricky, but you already know what it is. Dew point is the temperature at which air can't hold any more moisture. A cold beer can or lemonade glass gets condensation droplets on it because the liquid inside is below dew point. If you cook pasta in the winter, you may notice condensation inside the cold windows, especially with single pane glass. The surface of the can, glass, or window is so cold that the moisture in the air condenses on it. It's below dew point. See, you knew it already. Ideal indoor dew points range between 35 and 55 degrees. When you get above a 70 degree dew point, it feels like you can cut the air with a knife. Got a photo here of mold and high humidity leads to bad things like mold. Then there is a spectrum of dew point. So it runs from a dew point between 15 degrees and 95 degrees, and then what the relative humidity is for all of those. The recommended dew point is between 35 and 55 degrees, and the relative humidity at 70 degrees is recommended to be between 30% and 60%. This brings us to the next important point. Things are going to get wet. That's okay. It's not okay if those things don't get dry. It's very important to note that wet and dry are not absolutes. It's a spectrum. Think about a towel that's almost dry. It's not wet, but it's not dry. We need to pay attention to keeping things dry even when they don't appear wet. Even slightly wet building materials can cause big problems like rot, pests, and mold. Wet goes to cold is frequently why basements are damp and musty. If it's hot and humid outside and that air gets into the basement through air leaks or open windows, that humid air is likely to condense on cold basement walls. The walls are often only somewhat wet, but they can still smell musty, which is potentially a health problem. Presto, yuckiness. Careful air sealing and HVAC design can tackle many moisture problems. Kitchen and bath fans, good gutter systems, and the landscaping can tackle most of the others. Control moisture levels in your home and wet goes to cold won't be a substantial problem. The Rules, Part 2, Heat Transfer If you want a comfortable and efficient home, you need to control how quickly heat gets in and out. Heat transfers in three ways. First, conduction, through one solid to another. If you put your hand on a hot coffee cup, the heat goes from the coffee through the cup and into your hand. Second, convection. Through fluids, 
which can be air or liquid. Holding your hand over a coffee cup transfers heat to your hand through the steam and rising heated air. And third, radiation. Through space in one direction. Holding your hand one inch from the hot coffee cup, you'll feel radiant heat. Sunlight and fire are other examples of radiant heat. All three of these are important. Which one is most important varies by the situation. The more control you can exert over all three, the more comfortable your home will be. Control. A leaky boat is like a leaky house. Now that we've covered some basics, it's time to go a bit deeper and talk about how your home actually works. One of the best ways to think about it is imagining your home as a leaky boat with a foot of water in the bottom of it all the time. We'll tie problems in a leaky boat back to the four tenets, comfort, health, durability, and efficiency. In a leaky boat, you would expect some typical problems. First, in and out of the boat. A leaky boat requires a large bilge pump to constantly pump water out, which is an efficiency problem thanks to the bilge pump using a lot of power. Because the boat constantly has water in it, it smells musty, which is a health problem. That water is likely rotting the boat out, reducing its lifespan, which is a durability problem. If the bilge pump ever fails, the boat will sink, another durability problem to be sure, but also a health issue if you drown on the boat. Inside the boat. If there is constantly water in the bottom of your boat, it's not going to handle very well as it sloshes around, a comfort problem. It will also be a slow boat from not only the weight of the water, but because it leaks faster as you go faster. Those are both comfort and efficiency problems. Basically, a leaky boat stinks. And the first thing to do is to plug the leaks. Everything gets better after that. It's not too tricky to see how all of those apply to your home. In and out of the house. Most homes leak a lot of air, just like the leaky boat leaks water. Moisture and heat travel on air, so leaking air has stowaway heat and moisture on it. On a hot, muggy summer day, heat and humidity are sneaking into your house. During the winter, cold air is dry, so heat and moisture leak out of your home. Air leakage almost always works the opposite of what you would want inside your home. That leads to an uncomfortable home. In your home, the bilge pump is your HVAC system, your furnace and air conditioner. If your home is leaky, it has to work harder to keep up, particularly on hot or cold days. That means the house is less efficient, less comfortable, and may have rot problems if moisture is able to come inside too quickly. When the furnace or air conditioner dies, it gets uncomfortable fast. If it's particularly cold, your pipes may freeze. If your house isn't leaky, you can live without heat or air conditioning for a while, no big deal. One client home went from losing 20 degrees in 6 hours to losing 10 degrees in 26 hours. Just like a boat, your house will get wet, musty, and moldy when it stays wet too long. It's generally okay if things get wet, but they must be able to dry out and dry out fairly quickly. If you have a damp basement or crawl space, or water pools against the house after a rainstorm, these are problems that should be resolved. Otherwise, you could have health issues or the house may rot out and require expensive repairs. Just like a leaky boat, the first thing to tackle is to plug the leaks. Inside the house. Like water leaking and sloshing in a boat, a leaky house will make your furnace and air conditioner work much harder to keep you comfortable. On a very hot or very cold day, they may lose the battle and the house won't stay at the temperature you want. In a tight home, it takes far less energy to keep a home comfortable and they will ride out the hot and cold periods more easily and comfortably. 
Once again, start by sealing leaks, not by buying a larger furnace or air conditioner, which will likely make things worse. If you buy a larger HVAC system and then seal your home, you probably made comfort in a tighter home impossible. Always start with air sealing. Stack effect, leakage and pressure. As a boat goes faster, it leaks more. As the weather gets hotter or colder, your house leaks more too. In a mixed metaphor you're unlikely to see anywhere else, I'm about to connect a leaky boat and a smokestack. Think about a leaky boat. Does it matter where the leak is? Of course, a hole near the bottom of the boat is going to be a real problem. That hole in the bottom is going to be very leaky because there is a lot of pressure acting on it, and that pressure is always there if the boat is in the water. It's much more likely to sink that boat quickly than a leak near the waterline. A hole at the waterline doesn't have much pressure acting on it. As waves go by the hole, a little bit of water will leak in each time, but the odds are the bilge pump can handle it. A hole above the waterline is only a problem in big storms when the water either gets that high on the boat or even sloshes over the side. Leakage equals pressure times hole size. This illustrates a very important point that relates back to one of the rules. Pressure goes from high to low. If you have a hole, but there isn't any pressure pushing on it, it won't leak. If you have a hole where a lot of pressure is pushing on it, it's a big deal, even if it's small. This applies very directly to your home. Your home essentially acts like two boats on top of each other, like this. And this is a fairly confusing one to explain. So there's two boats. One is upside down, one is right side up. The upside down one is on top. How your house works is at the top of it, you have a high pressure, and at the bottom of it, you have a high pressure. So it depends on the season which pressure is higher than the other, but the top and the bottom have your high pressure, which means somewhere in the middle of the house, there's no pressure at all. That's called the neutral pressure plane. In the winter, warm air rises through your home due to it being less dense than colder air. It sneaks out any hole in the ceiling or walls that it can. That air has to get replaced and it's pulled in from outdoors through the bottom of your house, usually through the top of the basement wall or where the bottom of the first floor walls rest on the slab foundation or on a floor over a crawl space. Just like smokestacks, Taller homes leak faster than shorter ones. So I have a diagram here that has a smokestack. So taller smokestacks lead to more flow. Hotter fires in the smokestack lead to more flow. The same with houses. Taller houses leak faster than shorter houses. So if you have a two-story home, that's going to leak faster than a one-story home. It's time to bring in the smokestack. If you think of smokestacks of any factory, the taller they are, the faster they flow. Also, the more heat in a smokestack, the faster they flow. Ironically, this is why using the fireplace in your house is a terrible idea if you're actually trying to heat it. Fires burn hot in the tallest part of your house, so they flow really well. They actually pull about four times as much heat out as they contribute to the house. You've probably noticed this if you have one. Other parts of the house get really cold when a fire is burning. Different houses flow at different rates too. Many homes built from 1900 to 1950 have three stories, with the top story being a finished attic complete with quaint sloped ceilings. These houses tend to be quite leaky. They often have steam heat, which makes very hot heat, plus they're tall. The stack effect is strong in them. Consequently, heating them efficiently and comfortably is quite a challenge. Conversely, single-story ranch homes tend to be pretty tight. Most were built in the era of forced air, which isn't as hot compared to steam heat. The house height is short when compared to older multi-story homes too. The stack effect has much less sway in these homes, 
but it is still a force to be reckoned with. Inset. Breaking the energy model. Regardless of how tall your house is, air sealing the top and bottom thoroughly is key. One client had a very good air sealing and insulation job done on their 1952 two-story home. This was one of the first retrofit jobs completed without a home performance expert's guidance where I was impressed by the air sealing work. That house broke, in quotes, the energy model because the top and bottom were so tight. An energy model is a computer program that creates a virtual version of your home. We can change various things in the model, like air sealing, insulation levels, and HVAC types. The model predicts how much energy a house will use, but often the predictions are incorrect to begin with. We have to adjust them to match reality. Although it was two stories tall, the stack effect was arrested so much that when we built the computerized energy model, we couldn't match what the house actually used to the model. Many models, including the one we use, assume that leakage is pretty evenly distributed throughout the home. When the top and bottom are extra tight, there is no way to adjust for that. Even though the walls were empty and uninsulated, we had to energy model that home like the walls were insulated. We also modeled it 20% tighter than it actually was to get modeled natural gas consumption to line up with actual. This was because the stack effect was already under tight control. It would be like a car being rated for 20 miles per gallon that got 30 miles per gallon and you couldn't figure out why. We believe the biggest part of it is that stack effect was largely stopped. Consequently, that home only needed HVAC measures, whereas we normally start with air sealing and insulation. That's the end of page 30 and part one of Home Comfort 101. Please pick up in part two. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Service Business Mastery Podcast, the podcast for service business owners, managers, and service technicians who are considering becoming business owners themselves. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Nate reading from his book. And don't forget to pick up your copy of his book. Just visit natethehousewhisperer.com to snag up your copy. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. With that being said, I look forward to talking to you again soon on the Service Business Mastery Podcast.